question sure. because obviously the U.S. has enjoyed the privilege, a privilege. of having uh, the dominant global reserve currency, and that's not something you're going to want to give up. Yeah. So I don't see the U.S. just saying, all right, sure, go for it. Welcome back, everybody. You are watching How About That Crypto, your home for crypto and Web3 news and updates with your host, Bitcoin Stylist. Now, I hope you all had a good holiday uh, weekend and happy Passover and happy Easter. And um, I'm coming back to you today. And just to luck, there are two main things that I feel like are really important. You know, we're waiting to, I reported on what I consider the most important things in the, my last episode, last few episodes, which were, which have to do with the U.S. government, the administration, and the federal regulators going after crypto. Uh, different, you know, banks have taken a hit, as well as uh, different lawsuits have been filed, like Coinbase and the Coinbase versus CFTC, and the sorry, the Coinbase versus SEC and Binance versus CFTC. Well, there's two conversations that I see emerging. And I just am um, really curious to see where this goes. And the two topics that are emerging are bifurcation or D let's say de-dollarization. So you got de-dollarization and then you have the Ethereum upgrade. That's right. Today is the big Ethereum upgrade, the second upgrade. And uh, that's when all the validators will be able to unstake. But I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to start off today's news with a conversation about uh, the de-dollarization narrative. Uh, just some really interesting insight here. Uh, don't forget, this is not financial advice. You can use the links below to do your own research. All right. So uh, you just listened to a little clip from this interview. It's really good. I'll leave the link in the description below. Um, now, it is on kitco.com. And if you don't know, kitco is notorious for selling gold and silver, a lot of their, in general, in commodities, uh, a lot of their news and interviews are kind of slated toward buying hard assets. And so they, you're not going to really get any friendly news, you know, through, and I would be surprised throughout any part of history uh, of Kitco that they are promoting positive narratives about the dollar. However, I've been seeing it, and I'm sure you've been seeing it too, all over social media and the mainstream media like CNN and Bloomberg. They're all talking about it. Fox News, you know, so I thought it was interesting, and I feel like this is a good conversation to have. Now, when I think of de-dollarization, you know, I think what most people think of is that the dollar isn't going to be, no one's going to want to hold the dollar anymore. Well, studies have shown that more and more countries are buying less and less treasury assets, meaning that less and less, and less the world is allowing the U.S. to uh, print without consequence there, you know, continue to expand the monetary supply, a.k.a. print money without consequence. And then the sanctions against Russia that were seen by many countries who didn't really care about Russia invading Ukraine. And I'm not saying I don't care. I'm not saying I care. I'm just, you know, reporting you a bunch of information that connect to me to tell a story. 
And uh, one of those pieces is more and more countries are looking at the U.S. as a liability uh, because they think of they see Russia doing something that the U.S. didn't like and so that they sanctioned them and essentially stole all their money. Now, maybe they should have had their money stolen. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just saying that if you're a foreign actor, you're some country in South America or in Africa, and um, you don't necessarily uh, need the U.S. dollar as much as, say, another a country like El Salvador who uses the U.S. dollar. You might ask yourself, like, if you're like Brazil, you might be like, oh, you know, my country's getting real big. And what if we need to make a move that's in our interest that the U.S. or the Europeans don't like? Well, I don't want to have to worry about the U.S. dollar system, banking system uh, taking me out. So now you're seeing more and more currency swaps between BRIC nations. The BRIC growth has surpassed the growth of the uh, the U.S. and the and the European Union, uh, like all basically the West is not growing at a fast as fast of a pace as the BRIC countries. So there's a lot of power coming from these countries and it doesn't really matter. Like a lot of people want to say that, well, who's going to what currency are they going to are these people going to use? Like no one trusts China to be truthful about their reserves and, you know, they could debase their money supply, too. You know, so is it about debasement? Is that really the concern or is it more of a security concern or is it more just like other countries are thinking to themselves, maybe we need to diversify what's happening with the U.S.? You know, are we going to be able to make a comeback and uh, rise to a high level of, you know, productivity and innovation and, um you know what's happening you know what what so this conversation is not about some of the reasons why the US is where they are this conversation is more about the fact that we are in the world where we are now go ahead and uh check this out listen to some of this it's a few minutes and i'm going to stop along the way okay well, how do you see the US preventing this reacting to this i think it sticks and carrots um with the global south, you know, bribes and threats. Let's you know. talk about the sticks. Well, the Military sticks are, you know, well, you know, they're already, you saw that the, um, uh, the U.S. just threatened um, certain countries, uh, um, I think the UAE and someone else about uh, being excluded from G7 markets if they find ways around sanctions. So the well, U.S. Yellen was in South Africa recently, giving yeah. the South Africans a warning about sticking with the sanctions. Yeah, so there'll Russia. be a lot of those, but, you know, the BRICS are a very powerful block. So <laughs> what they're saying is that basically the U.S. officials, through all their means, through their through their banking telecommunication systems, through the World Bank, the IMF, the UN, G7, I mean, <laughs> all these different organizations are really trying to maintain the uh, integrity of the sanctions against Russia. But um, it just looks like, you know, there's just more and more people that are interested in doing business with uh, with Russia, the largest supplier of commodities and China, the largest consumer of commodities and the largest one of the largest producers of consumer goods. And uh, it just I don't know. It's like, let's just keep listening here. 
And then I'll tell you the problems with this perspective too. And they're about to get bigger. How are you going to stop it? My, my guess, and the thing we want to prevent, because every time there's been a change of power throughout history, from one dominant power to another, which usually goes with the reserve currency also, mm -hmm. there's a conflict. And what we don't want in today's age is a conflict. And I think, like I'm talking about a hot war. And so I'm hoping that at some point they'll reach a consensus. The U.S. has to know it can't remain dominant forever. Okay. So when he's talking about a war, he doesn't mean the Ukraine war. That's more of a, you know, that's something different. What he's saying is like the U.S. actually engages in war with another nation uh, directly. Now, he's also saying that the U.S. has to recognize that they won't remain dominant forever. But if you listen to uh, Congress or the president, uh, you're not going to hear them say that. No one's going to, none of them are going to like, start being none of these people are proactive enough to get out ahead of this they're just going to continuously allow uh the the entire system to they're trying to try to control and prop it up for as long as they can you know so then as a retail investor what are you supposed to do you know personally i think that i'm not going to buy yuan i'm not going to buy the ruble i'm not going to buy anybody else's currency um but I guess that leads me to buy Bitcoin, <laughs> right? And gold. And that's basically what these people are saying, because <clears throat> unless you're willing to hold another nation's currency, which I'm not, um, then that's kind of where we're at. So this is what I'm, this is like, a, this is the point I'm trying to make here is like, what happens if uh, there is bifurcation or a splitting of the reserve system and then all of a sudden we got multiple reserve systems is the u.s reserve currency sorry is the u.s going to allow american citizens to use any other system other than the u.s dollar system are they going to force us to get more to become more poor by not allowing us to diversify away from an inflating asset that's a good question. It can't. The world has changed. It's not 1945 any longer. And so, you know, the U.S. is not the sole global economic power, the sole military power. Um, so there has to be a change. And you would hope they'd find, do it like they did Bretton Woods, the original one, through consensus. I just worry that we're not, we're living in a very fragile geopolitical world right now where that's not going to happen. And, and that worries me. Well, you know, Frank, they say the biggest lesson of history is that people don't learn the lessons of history. Yeah, that's why I read a lot of history. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, every reserve currency has a life cycle. I mean, Ray Dalio has obviously spoken about this extensively. But the U.S. is aware that the sunset may be here. Again, it's, I just don't see even, even this administration, which is perceived, I think it's fair to say, on the global stage, as perhaps a weaker administration than prior administrations, I don't see relinquishing this kind of power. No, the U.S. is not going to relinquish any power, and uh, and it it just feels like they're trying to prevent us through all this regulation from moving our money out of dollars and into other assets. You know, it's like the only assets you're allowed to buy are dollar denominated assets. 
you know, unless you buy physical gold, physical silver, I guess you could buy property. Um, you're going to buy that in dollars, but it has like physical, physical, you know, whatever properties to it. Um, but I, I also don't want to be like, I'm running, running away from us dollars because it's, I don't think this is going to happen overnight unless there's a conflict, like he's talking about a war or some other, some other thing that causes a complete crash of our system. But if, if our system crashed, then others would probably too, maybe. So um, I don't know how this all plays out, how long it takes. So I personally am not rushing to get rid of all my dollars and buy Bitcoin or any other crypto, but I would try to move my dollars into real estate, you know, buy a little more gold, buy a little more Bitcoin, but ultimately dollars are important because you got to pay your bills and your taxes, et cetera. So don't forget that it's not financial advice. So right. <laughs> they will, they will try and prevent it. I just don't see how they can in the long run, but they will try and prevent it. Cause think of what happens if the U S dollar uses its, it loses its re reserve status. It's supreme reserve status. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for interest rates? What's that mean for inflation? What's that mean for servers in the U S debt? It's a catastrophe. To me, it's a national security issue. And um, so I think it's going to be ugly, whatever happens. Now, a national security issue to keep the U.S. dollar dominant could be used against crypto. I haven't, I've only heard Donald Trump say that and uh, maybe a couple of other politicians and leaders. Uh, I heard a couple of head lead people in TradFi say that it's not good, like, Ken Griffin said it's a jihadi movement against the dollar. He later retracted and said he was wrong about that. But still, like, this is a narrative that can be played out to justify uh, the restrictions to U.S. citizens. Of course, unaccredited investors, people that don't have a lot of money because they don't have the means to necessarily skirt this stuff. Like, uh, a wealthy person could have bank accounts in other countries. Um, this is really coming down to hurting everyday people if this like this whole concept of a national security threat to prop up the dollar enters because the ultimately the dollar is on is not going to reign supreme long term so my concern is that over the short term the people that, like myself that are regular people that don't make a ton of money are just going to take the brunt of the decline of the US dollar dominance without any options to preserve our wealth other than U.S. dollars and U.S. dollar-denominated assets. So, just a thought. But I don't see how they can stop it. And, it, and again, I think it has to be carefully worded. The approach by the, if it's, say it's the BRICS, and the BRICS with an expansion, they have to do it in a manner that it's not taking over from the U.S. dollar is just an alternative to the U.S. dollar. So what he's talking about is a new reserve currency, something that is not replacing the dollar, but joining the dollar because the dollar U.S. will never step down and go to the table to negotiate away their dominance. And so he's not talking about Bitcoin or crypto, just so you know. But I am. <laughs> I still don't think that's going to go over very well. But, it, you know, 
people have to stop talking about you know the destruction of the U.S. dollar and you know replacing the U.S. dollar. It's it's a substitute. Well, hence you've used the term bifurcation, yes. as in split, because in yeah. your thesis, the dollar is still in play, mm -hmm. but just not as powerfully. So who is on team dollar? Europe, Japan, Australia, Canada. And they would have a vested interest in, in pushing against this alternative currency as yeah, well? Yeah, I would think so. Now you got, we have the North American Trade Agreement here, that the NAFTA and the... No, I, I just think it's really the, it's, it's the West, which is US, Japan and Europe, uh, Canada, Australia, that sort of collective. And then you got the rest of the world. You have the BRICS and you have the Global South, and they all have different needs and agendas. Right. Well, what could possibly derail this agenda? A war. All right. So, so basically, uh, I think that that was just a really good interview. I think you should re-listen re to the whole interview. When I listen to that interview, I think about, I think about the fact that uh, we're in the midst of uh, changing in power and dominance. That doesn't mean that the U.S. dollars system uh, or the U.S. government is going to collapse. It just means that as these poor, historically poorer nations or developing nations become not developing nations, like is China still a developing nation? There's some debate about that. But as these countries like brazil russia india china south africa specifically brazil india and china continue to get bigger and bigger and more more dominant and building up more industry and infrastructure etc they are going to demand more economic activity and uh, and they realize that the way that they became dominant through the u.s system and uh, probably relying on consumption from the west and each other probably, but um, these people are saying, okay, well, that just because we got here this way doesn't mean we're gonna we're gonna be able to stay in this position or even grow beyond what we possibly could. So it makes sense that they want another option other than the dollar because the U.S. might become more and more hostile towards the rest of the world as its dominance wanes. You know, if I was a non-US, I mean, I would think that way about any other nation that's in this similar position is, you know, we should diversify ourselves. Well, and as an American citizen, I think that it's important that I diversify myself. Now, am I, if I buy Bitcoin and it might, who knows, maybe it'll be something that my children uh, use or are able to benefit from. Maybe in my lifetime, um, I mean, my lifetime, I'm not that old. So I do think in my lifetime, you're going to see this happen. So this is like at worst case scenario, let's call this a retirement plan. But if you're thinking you're going to get rich off of this, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. Good luck, because I would not be jumping into this under the impression that I'm going to get rich. I would be thinking this is going to create generational wealth and bring in a whole new class uh of a whole new group of people into the wealthier class so i'm doing this for legacy i'm doing this to up upgrade my family's uh lineage in in the uh in in terms of social and economic mobility so that's what i see uh tell me what you see let me know leave a comment below and just real quick we got the ethereum shanghai upgrade now this is 
This is following the uh, original uh, one in, let's see, where is it? September. In September, we had an upgrade called the merge. And the merge basically took, you know, Ethereum was proof of work. The It brought it merged the proof of work and proof of stake blockchains together uh, to get rid of proof of work. And so now Ethereum is proof of stake. Well, this next merge is really important. Or sorry, this next upgrade is really important. The reason why it's so important is something called EIP-4895. And this is allows validators to withdraw stake tokens. So if you're concerned about price, there's a lot of cons a lot of people think that uh, people are going to unstake their ETH after they get it out. Um, it says up here that, let's see, 14% um, of all ETH are currently staked as of April 5th last week, accounting for 16 million tokens with a valuation of 26 billion. I just listened to something this morning saying that half of everybody that's holding ETH is underwater. So the question is, how much price action is there really going to be? If 50% of people sell, that could be a lot. Maybe everyone's going to sell the ETH that they accumulated in terms of in their interest or their rewards that they've been making for staking. So there's a lot of volatility expected because now um, you can stake and unstake your tokens, which is interesting because I also think a lot of more institutions are going to move in. And I think that you might see an initial sale, but ultimately, I think this is a massive, massive positive for Ethereum. Um, and then all their improvements, I think this is the most important part. Other improvements, uh, this is, sorry, this is an article on Decrypt by Nathan Reef titled, What is Ethereum Shanghai Chappella Upgrade? And at the bottom here, the other improvements say EIP-4895 is a key development, which is the unstaking and of the ETH. Um, but there's some other ones. The They're supposed to reduce gas fees. So that should be nice during high activity uh, to benefit the Ethereum developers. So I don't know that this actually impacts anything to do with actual trading fees. But it says uh, it proposes lower gas costs related to maximum extractable value payments when accessing a Coinbase address. And Coinbase is the name of a um, is the name of the software, not the company. Uh, there's another one that another up, update which aims to lower gas costs generally for developers. And then there's another one that caps developer costs. So basically it's going to make it good for developers to continuously develop. It's going to make it cheaper for building, but not necessarily for trading. It's considered a relatively small upgrade, but it'll have the most significant impact for those with staked ETH because who knows what's going to happen. And then later this year, there should be an Ethereum virtual machine upgrade, which just means that, you know, programmability is going to increase. So that's the news. Uh, we got, you know, big conversations about about de-dollarization. I do think it's real, but I also am um, I'm being careful not to just jump on jump on board because who knows? I mean, what if China's economy uh, teeters and collapses or they end up going to war uh, over Taiwan and, you know, and then like, what's that going to do to currency situation? Well, if we stand up for Taiwan, maybe, I don't know. Like, what well, what do you think? I just don't think this stuff's happening overnight. And I think a black swan event at any time could 
make the US dollar even more attractable, attractive. And don't forget, just because countries don't want to buy US dollars or US debt anymore, statistics show that the vast majority of individuals, citizens around the world, they want dollars. So what I say, I say, make the US dollar the reserve currency of the crypto space by getting allowing Coinbase our sorry circle to blow USDC up and make them hyper hyper regulated so that way that no one ever has to worry about depegging. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment below. I want to hear from you. Hot along.